Hi, my name is Debbie Nahiquiri. I am a junior common leadership major with a minor in journalism. Um, I'm Nigerian-American. Uh, I don't know what else. Sure. Uh, I guess the one other thing, too, is like what mental health issue would we are we going to talk about today? Uh, we're going to talk about my um, – <laughs> wow, it literally just uh, blanked my mind. Uh, we're going to talk about my depression. I have uh, moderately severe depression. Okay. Is that good? You think I think that, that would covers? be a good intro, yeah. Yeah, okay. you can edit around Yeah, we're going to edit it <laughs> Of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> we're learning. <laughs> Thank you for your yeah. patience. You're welcome. I learned the other day um, that, because I say sorry a lot, mm. and I learned that a good technique to reverse that is instead of saying I'm sorry, you say thank you. So I'm saying like I'm sorry for making you wait. You say thank you for your patience. But like I apologize to like inanimate objects when I run into them. So I like saying thank you to inanimate objects as I hit them. Thank you for being present. Yeah. <laughs> I acknowledge your presence. <laughs> and it's like I'm a chair. By the way, I'm one of your hosts, Shelby. And I'm Anne, one of your other hosts. This is A Familiar Place, a podcast where our guests share their personal mental health stories, all in the hopes of helping our listeners feel less alone. Even though we're talking about sensitive topics, we're doing our best to create a safe space for our guests. Please keep in mind, we aren't trained professionals. We're simply starting a conversation that we think is lacking in our society. Since we are dealing with very emotional, personal issues, each episode has a trigger warning. This episode's trigger warnings include suicidal thoughts. Today we're here with Debbie to talk about depression. We talked with Debbie before about her experiences, and she agreed to record her story for this podcast. Anyone who's familiar with Debbie would describe her as the quintessential extrovert, someone who thrives off of sunshine and other people. Any given day. This is Debbie. She's just, like, happy? <laughs> That's, like, a weird thing to say. Um, but I guess, like, you knew me. Uh, to think about it, you knew me um, before depression hit. This is before December 2016. Uh, but still kind of like myself, just, like, extroverted, just, like, always talking to people. Like, if I use the example of, like... If anyone, if any one of my friends is walking with me, we would be stopped at least like five times because I'd be like saying hi to like other friends. And it's not like I just say hi. Like I have a conversation with the person. They're just like, oh, so I'm like, no, like we got to talk about this. Like we got to have a whole like discussion. And like it'll take me like 30 minutes just to walk across <laughs> campus because I'm having these conversations. And I think conversations and relationships are important because we're made for them. Along with talking to people who she'd run into on her way to class, Debbie was also very involved on campus. At one point, she was in seven, yes, seven organizations. I believe I was in I was in um, this organization called Mount Nebo that um, helps I mentor kids in East Austin. Um, I was in Ignite Texas, which I'm in right now, which is like a Christian like, camp thing. I was in the National Association of Black Journalists. I was on the Daily Texan. I was a podcast reporter. Um, I was doing I was doing a lot. I was doing the 40 acres um, photography thing at one point. I was I was like like not even thinking like do I even remember how many orgs I was in? I was I was doing like a lot like in and for, and for everyone who like I told like oh yeah I'm like in like seven cool orgs. They're just like what do you what do you mean like how do you do that? And I'm like because I'm me like we I did like the most and I've always done the most since I was like. Since I popped out the womb, I've always been doing the most. Debbie's first semester on campus ended in early December, and she found herself back home in Houston. Her first experience with depression hit her out of left field. She didn't know what was wrong, but she knew she felt off. She was bombarded on social media with people posting about how much they loved their new lives in college. 
but that didn't reflect her reality. I suck. Like, school sucks. I suck. Why am I even in college? I didn't even think I was supposed to be here. Just, like, and that downward spiral of negative thought just, like, just added to all of this stuff. And I just, like, felt terrible. She shook off the depressive episode by the time spring semester began in January. It took some time before she realized that what she experienced was actually depression. This is what Debbie is. Um, Smart, capable, energetic, sunshiny person. And this is how Debbie is now during depression. Not that at all. What there's differences, there's changes. Why isn't she like that? So like it's like seeing someone's Instagram account and like um, seeing all their pictures go from like like oh I'm just like smiling and like just doing things on the regular to like being it to be like I hate to make this comparison but like to versus like a finsta where like they show how they really feel and they show that how like hey like my day has been crap like I feel like trash um all of these things so to have like that be my main feed to have like my finsta be like my main feed and let let, like the entire world see that and be like oh shoot there's something wrong she's not like doing this xyz pattern of behavior she's not like showing up to this x meeting again i was in like several things so when i stopped um when i was like kind of like sporadic in the meetings and not being as like committed or as like focused as i could be or as i should have been um people are just like yeah what's like going on with debbie Once she was back on campus for her sophomore year, Debbie's symptoms of depression returned, this time worse. It started with just skipping some of her classes, but by junior year, she stopped going altogether, even to classes she used to enjoy. I had no drive or desire for anything, and like people who know me know that like that's not me, that's not who I am. I have a drive and desire to do everything all the time, i.e. seven orgs. So... Um, but, like, it manifested from that until sophomore year, being during sophomore year when I had depression, it was like, okay, we're going to go from, like, not wanting to do anything to, like, let's isolate ourselves and let's stay in our apartment and let's not talk to people and let's um, make up dumb excuses to not see people because if I see people, then they're going to ask me questions. And I don't want to answer those questions because it's going to make me confront my feelings, confront my reality. And since I don't want to do any of that, let me just stay inside and let me just isolate myself. I would I would wake up. I would wake up or I would I would um, I would snooze all of my alarms. I had like four or five alarms set just because I like I struggled to get up. But um, but then I would stay in my bed and be like, okay, should I go? Do I have time? I have time. Okay, let's go. And then like like brushing my teeth, taking a shower, doing my hair, putting on an outfit, putting my stuff in my backpack, getting snacks, like doing all these things and then like checking the time. And even if it was like like I could make it whether walking or taking a bus or taking a lift or just like figuring it out, I'm just like, well, I maybe not like well, I don't really have to go right now or like I um there the homework really isn't due to like next week or like I don't have a project or no one will really miss me or I and then just like slowly backtracking and slowly putting down my backpack and slowly going back to my bed and then just like crawling back in bed and it would just be like this game that I'd play with myself and it still happened cuz when you're depressed when when you're feeling it at least for me like you just you get like so used to things you're just like oh this is how life is and people have to point out to you like hey no this isn't normal like this isn't like how like 
human beings function like normally. Like this, there's something going on here. There's something wrong. And so having like those, like that happen, having like suicidal thoughts when I like had thought about it, but just like, like the reality of suicidal thoughts and just like having to like walk by the kitchen and look at the knives and then like reverse my steps and go back to my room so I wouldn't do anything because I was just like, no, I can't do that. Like talking myself out of that, like that's scary. Um, But that was like my reality for months at a time. So Debbie found herself back in that depressive state, which is obviously really hard to shake yourself out of without any help. Ultimately, she was going to class less and seeing her friends less and just doing less. Finally, all of these symptoms culminated in a pretty concerning experience. Let's talk about then one of the wake-up calls that you mentioned earlier. Tell me the UTPD story. The UTPD story. Okay, this is. I feel like it's making it way more dramatic than it actually is, but it was kind of. I mean, like, it was. Like, it, <laughs> it was. <is. laughs> it was. But in my brain, I'm like, oh, it was a little blip. Oh, it was um, just a little thing. So I. It was after. So I had um, my advisor talked to me. I had dropped two classes, but I was still in like two other classes. One of them I wasn't going to at all, just because um, it was one of them that they like, don't take attendance, and I just like turn things in online. So I'm like. I don't have to go to that. But this other class um, where it was like a smaller English class and there was like 20 something people in it. And like my professor, who was just awesome, um, just really like asked about us and wanted to know how we were doing. Just like a really nice, wonderful person. So she um, was like noticing that I wasn't coming to class and that I was like making these excuses and it was like all all of these things, not turning in assignments and stuff. And so when that happens um, for professors or for advisors, they can contact UTPD to just check on you to see if like everything's going okay, like what's what's happening. Her professor reached out to UTPD after Debbie repeatedly missed class and assignment dates. The police went to Debbie's employers to find her address and eventually showed up at her apartment to check on her. Debbie had no idea what to expect when she heard the knock on her door. I was just eating like Pizza Hut in my in my like apartment, just chilling, like skipping class. And I hear this like knock on the door and I like open the door and like UTPD's there and I'm just like so shook. Mainly because I'm like a Nigerian American. I'm a black woman. Like I'm just like, okay, anytime that's police, even if they're nice, even if they're wonderful, I my anxiety just goes through the roof. So I'm just like, what the heck is going on in my mind? They just like knock on my door and they're like, hey, is it okay if we come in? And I'm like, okay, I guess. Um, and they come in and they just like start talking to me and like tell me like, oh, like this professor is like worried about you and you're not coming to class. Like just asking me what's up, just telling me like, hey, like, what's going on? And I was, like, answering their questions, but I was, like, so, it was so nerve-wracking. It was so, like, low-key traumatizing. And they were really nice. They were really wonderful. They were just, like, wanting to know, like, hey, like, what's going on? Like, basically, like, hey, we're hoping that you're not, like, doing these terrible things to yourself, hoping that you're okay. All right. But, like, it was, like, a 10-minute talk, and then after that, they just, like, um, left. But after that, I was just, like, so just, like, trying to catch my breath and, like, trying to be, like, yo, like, what the heck just happened? And then my roommate comes out of her door, and she's just, like, hey, Debbie, so who was that? And I'm, like, that was the police. And then she was, like, what the? So I had to, like, go through that confrontation with my roommate of being, like, hey, this is how I've been feeling and doing and skipping class, and um, now i got to tell you why the police were at our front door. But, like, all of that to say was, like, that was just, like, a huge wake-up call for me because I'm, like, I never thought that my depression would get to, like, this bad of a point that I needed police officers to check on me. 
So let's pause here for a minute because that is a pretty intense situation to be in, especially if you feel like you're going through a crisis. Just a note, if you feel like you ever need the police to check on a friend, be sure to specify that you want mental health officers. Some officers are specifically trained to provide help for people going through a mental health crisis. So after this major wake-up call and realizing that her professor was worried, Debbie started the process of addressing her depression. Although this felt like a big undertaking, Debbie began going to therapy. So finally, um, again, through my friend, found um, a therapist um, who's awesome, who's my current therapist right now, that like actually taking the step to go to therapy um, after freaking two years of struggling, um, but like going there and being like, man, like this is actually great because my whole thing with therapy, and I've talked to other people about this that kind of feel the same, was just like, yo, I understand that therapy is good and therapy is awesome, but I'm like, if I go to therapy, because I kind of like self-diagnosed myself before any like doctor or therapist um, said I had depression. I'm just like, this seems like this is depression. But if I like went and they were like, actually, no, you don't have depression. I'm like, so then what the heck am I feeling? But if I go and they're like, yes, you do have depression. I'm just like, oh, then I have to deal with all of this stuff. So it was just like this of like, I was just stuck. I was between a rock and a hard place and I just didn't want to go. But um, going to therapy and realizing how great and how wonderful it is, but also realizing as I'm still realizing that, like, it's a slow-going process. It's not something that's going to be fixed in, like, a month or maybe in a year. Like, I could be going through depression for, like, the rest of my life. And, like, that's okay, but, like, I still need to be consistently getting help. Let's talk about this slow process Debbie was forcing herself to go through. She had to make an active decision to combat those avoidance behaviors that were causing her to isolate herself. She wasn't participating in the things that she actually enjoyed and ended up making herself feel worse. Once she started going to class and taking that first step, she ended up having a good time. I just had to, like, take that step out of the door um, and taking that step. It, like, people don't realize that taking that step was, like, is still, like, some of the hardest steps I have to take. When she forced herself to go out and go back and remake those connections with friends, connections that weren't even lost in the first place, she found herself feeling better. This support system was crucial for Debbie, especially since she loves being around people. All of these things that, like, because of other people, like, pressing into me again because of that, like, wonderful support system, making me realize, like, hey, like, you need help. We will offer help. You just need to take it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, we're going to do it. Um, so all of that, also God, I'm a Christian, by the way, um, but just, like, having God just, like, placing those people in my life at the right time in the right place to be able to be, like, and giving me the strength to, like, even take that help. But mental health is still very stigmatized, and many people don't understand it. How, how did your parents first react um, when the conversation of depression or topics of mental health came up? Um, when it came up for me, because they're both nurses, by the way, so they see this, so they understand this in other people, but when it comes to their daughter, no, like, it was, my mom didn't believe me, my mom and my dad thought I was being lazy, and, like, people will hear that and be like, how could they, like, what is, and, like, my parents are not bad parents, they're wonderful, loving people, I love them, they love me, we have a great, wonderful relationship, but because of the stigmas within the African, well, within like the African diaspora and the black community, but especially the African community and them being like immigrants, they came here from Nigeria, like 
it's not that it isn't a thing over there. Many people deal with mental health um, within Nigeria and within Africa and within the U.S., but we don't talk about it. We or we think like, oh, that that that's for that's that's for other people, but that's not for me. Or if you want me to be real, that's some white people shit. That's not for us. Um, so we we already we already dealt with all of our things of oppression. This is not going to be one of them. So like we so like it's just like a thing of like. Yeah, like that cool, like we have patients that like go through all that stuff, but not our daughter. That's not that's not what she's made for. That's not like because I told you like before that like whenever you're like like you are a child of an immigrant, or at least for Africans, when you're a child of immigrant, you hold the family name. It's not just like, oh, like this is reflecting on you. It's reflecting on your family. It's reflecting on your community. It like you represent everyone else, even though you don't want to. We push ourselves. Our parents and our families push us to be the best. And you can't be the best when you're also going through all this other oppressive systematic racism and like all of that other stuff, but then also going through mental health and physical issues. So it's just like, I had to just like, like having, having those conversations stung, but like eventually because they're my parents and they're not terrible people, they're wonderful, they're awesome, I love them, and they love me. They saw that this wasn't just me being lazy like this was this was something that was genuinely affecting me and like that took a long time for them to realize but eventually they did. Debbie had already started the process for handling her depression but her parents were still coming to terms with it. They had to go through their own series of wake-up calls some of which were pretty harsh. One of them occurred at Debbie's biannual physical. She'd never previously told a doctor that she experienced depression so when she brought it up for the first time her family doctor recommended medication. Her dad had an issue with that. I was already apprehensive about medication because I was like, I don't know these side effects. I don't know how this is going to affect me. But also, it's freaking scary that, like, again, a wake-up call for me that I need medication because I have a chemical imbalance in my brain. That I need medication because this depression is so, like, it affects me so much. Um, And then also, on the other hand, it was like, within the African community, again, these things don't exist. And, like, I remember when I were, whenever I was going to therapy, specifically my parents being like, yeah, no, you're not going on medication. Like, medication's not for us. Medication's not what we're going to be doing. No. But um, my doctor, who was Nigerian, was a Nigerian Christian woman who had that context, thank God, um, to, like, know, like, this is what's going on. Having her be like, yo, at the end of the day, um, I know I know you want to honor and respect your parents, but at the end of the day, like, this is your battle. Like, you're the one who's going through depression. You're the one who has to deal with this on a daily. This medication is going to help you. I'm going to write you a prescription, but, like, you got to do this, you know? Um, but I'll talk to your dad if you want me to. So I call my dad, and he's like, okay, I'm on my way. So he comes through, and he goes through, like, the the back where where I am. It's me, the doctor, and my dad. And my dad... Um, tries to tell me, like, oh, Debbie, like, go sit down. I'm going to go talk to the doctor. (laughs) And so, which is illegal, by the way, because I'm an adult. But, like, my doctor was just like, yo, are you trying to talk about, like, medical information about her? And he's like, yes. And he's just like, well, that's something that the patient needs to also be here for. So you can't do that. And in my mind, I'm like, woo, let's go. Like, yeah, tell my dad. But I'm just like, in in my in reality, I'm like, oh, okay, let's go. And so, because I can't do that. So he starts to, like, go off and be like, She's gained so much weight since coming to college. Like, we try to get her to exercise, like, this, that, and the third. And, like, 
I mean, like, exercise does contribute to, like, depression and things like that. But it's, like, that's not what's... That's just, like, trying to treat... It's like covering a Band-Aid over, like, the root of the problem, you know? You can't and so, cover a Band-Aid on an artery. It, yeah. Exactly. So, like, so my doctor was just, like, yeah, basically, like, summarize what we're saying. She was just, like, yeah, no, that's not going to help her. There's, like, a chemical imbalance in her body. Like, she, especially because she also has PCOS, so she needs medication. And her saying that, like, there was a kid who was, like, my age, who was, like, 21, um, who committed suicide because he was going through depression and anxiety and didn't have any medication, didn't have any support because his parent, like, because of the stigmas within our society. And they had to bury that kid because of the, that happened. And, like, being like, that could be your daughter. Just, like, impressing the realities of the situation um, with him. And my dad, like, thinking it over. And I'm, like, praying in my head, like, God, like, if I'm meant to go on medication, let my dad be okay with it. Which seems like an, an impossibility in my mind. And then my dad being like, okay, like, let's do it. Like, you can go on medication. And being like, me like, praise God. Like, I can, <laughs> I can get medication. But, um, but, like, that was a whole ordeal and a battle. But, like, something that also impressed into my dad's mind that, like, this is serious. She's on medication. Because, again, like, context. He's a nurse. So, like, he understands, like, all the, the ins and outs. Eventually, the wake-up calls broke through, and her parents realized that they could help her more by offering their support and empathy rather than denying the possibility of their daughter having a mental health issue. I remember having this conversation with my parents and my dad saying that, like, ultimately, besides God, um, there are no people who are going to be more in your corner than me and your mother. And, like, being like, we, we love you that much. You are our daughter. Like, you are a product of us. Like, we... If, even if we don't agree, even if, like, we're on different pages, it doesn't matter. Like, we are here for you, even when we don't understand. But, like, we are trying. Yeah, that, that's all I'm doing. <laughs> so, yes. Okay, well, then how would you say, then, like, uh, mental health levels? If you were to, like, rate them or if you were to describe them, how are you doing right now in that in that sphere? Um, I feel like from, like, a 10 being, like, the worst... And the one being, like, I'm a rainbow cloud, um, I would be at, like, a good five, five and a half. Um, if you asked me this a week ago, it would have been, like, a seven or an eight. Um, but it's, like, died down, I guess, um, for since then. Like, I feel, like, a lot better. I've just been having good conversations with my friends and my family, with my professors who've been so understanding. Go College of Communication for having awesome professors. Go UT for having awesome professors um, who are understanding. Um, but basically, yeah, like, I feel, like, a lot better um, as a person, like, mental health space-wise, um, and I hope that continues. Again, I'm one of your hosts, Shelby. I'm Anne. I'm Debbie Hequery. Um, you can find me somewhere. I just float around Texas. Um, but just, yeah, like really understand that like if you need help, you can get it and it's available to you. And it's not something to be ashamed of or to be afraid of, but it's something that you is just a part of life and that you're going to like do. But like you can be strong and wonderful um, if you do so. So this was our first podcast. Hopefully you'll have more to look forward to in the coming weeks. We're still getting off the ground, but if you're interested, I will be an endless hype beast for this podcast. <laughs> we'll all be endless hype beasts. Just we're going to be real annoying on, on all the social media. I will die on this hill. <laughs> 
a good hill to die on. Yeah. So in all seriousness, how do you think this went? I think it went well, um, honestly. I, I think we chose Debbie for the first episode because her story shows that that anyone can go through these tough mental health experiences, you know? Like, it's not just for people who are quiet or who don't talk to people on the street, who are classically introverted. It can happen to people who, like Debbie said, thrive off of sunshine. Yeah, I loved how she said that because she really is such a bright person and talking to her and just being around her was a great experience, even if it was about a really serious topic like mental health. So thanks again to Debbie for agreeing to talk and share your story. We really think this is important and what you told us has value for a lot of people. And thank you to our audience for listening. And to everyone out there, stop saying sorry. Stop it. A Familiar Place is hosted by Elizabeth Wong, Anna Kate Hutton, Shelby Stebler, and myself, Ann Morris. This episode in particular was edited by Elizabeth Wong and Ann Morris. We want to thank Lakey Inspired for his use of his songs Distant and Last Nights. His music is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. You can find his music on SoundCloud or YouTube at Lakey Inspired. Just a reminder, if you're feeling down or in need of help, please don't hesitate to reach out to a mental health professional or call a helpline. The number for the National Suicide Helpline is 1-800-273-8255. We've also included a list of resources on our Instagram at Familiar Place Podcast. Be sure to follow us to get regular updates and find out when we post new episodes. We hope this podcast has helped you in some way today and hope you continue the conversation elsewhere. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at A Familiar Place. F is for friends, you do, do stuff together. together. U is for you and me. N is for anywhere and anytime at all down here in the deep blue sea. You're welcome for that beautiful rendition of fun.